0: We might. Let, I need to gather my thoughts on this point. Hold on. It's okay. We'll come back also, to ble- it. bless you. Jay says, bless you.
1: That's going to be the episode cold open. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: perfect. Two of them. Two of them. It's like the clapper. Oh. <laughs> did two claps, because I had been recording, so this is now the official start of the recording.
1: (laughs) Brad did the same thing, where he was just like, (laughs) and I was like, what do you, what do
0: you, I don't do that. That's that's what the clapboard is good for, it's for syncing (laughs) audio.
1: Yeah, okay, well, it does, yeah, I guess you're right. It's, it's those little things that are like, uh, are, is this. Not an illusion. What am I trying to say? An urban legend? I don't know. Um, I'm going to start recording the Zoom now. Cool. I actually love that she tells you. I think that's very nice of her.
0: It is. It's very polite.
1: To say that. I had a recording for work today. Um and uh the guy like had his camera on and his microphone on and i was like i'm gonna be recording this and like distributing it so you can do whatever you want but just so you know he's like oh thanks so much for saying that and then just left everything on and i was like okay <laughs> it
0: felt like i didn't tell you
1: <laughs> yeah i was like that's fine i then i felt bad after a minute where i was like maybe i should not distribute this and i was like no this is fine it's fine um, hi, how are you?
0: I'm good. How about you, Jay?
1: I'm I'm good. Um, this is a, a special episode, so for listeners, we're recording on August third. Our final episode of our current, or I guess by you by the time you hear this former Haley hated it when I when I did this. I'm trying to talk in two different times. Uh, so when you're listening to this in the future it will be the past but now it's the future (laughs) so our final episode with Haley and I releases tomorrow the day after this recording but this recording will be released in a few weeks recording into the
0: future
1: we are recording we're speaking into the future hopefully the world has not changed dramatically or maybe, hopefully, it has changed dramatically.
0: As long as this remains intelligible in the future world. Yeah.
1: <laughs> which, I mean, I think with the, the rate at which things are going, uh, probably, it probably will. Um, I'm going to turn my volume down just a smidge. I'm finally learning how to like use my equipment. Um, so we're here. I'm joined by my friend John. I'm going to have him introduce himself in just a moment. The it's like hard to explain the context of how we know each other without getting super inside baseball within 30 seconds of this recording, so we'll keep it light and say John and I met via uh, an online community that grew up around particular podcast that we listen to, and this podcast is politics and media, and they talk a lot about sort of all kinds of contemporary issues. Uh, including um, not just politics and policy, but also uh, identity and uh, those sort of societal questions and topics. So within our community, we have the opportunity to have these conversations amongst ourselves and every so often um, share them with the outside world. Uh, This is John's idea, this particular podcast uh, and so I'm very excited to be here, um, so I'm without excited further- excited to be with you. Oh, thank you. Uh, you're, you are my first and maybe last non-queer guest on this podcast.
0: I, I have to hold myself to a high standard so that I'm not the last, and that you're not scared off.
1: The, the entire weight of the straight community is on your shoulders. Fuck. So- so <laughs> you're really gonna have to um, bring your A game today, which we would expect nothing less uh, from you. Uh, so, without further ado, my name is Jay. I use they/them pronouns, and uh, my back is awfully sore from uh, carrying the weight of my entire company on my shoulders. But that's what it—that's how it be when you're the captain. So that's that's my <laughs> intro.
0: I'm John, I use he, him, his pronouns, and I am president of the Committee to Reinvade Cuba.
1: <laughs> El Presidente, it's an honor to have you on the
0: podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an, it's an honorific, uh, <laughs> as a disclaimer, I'm not really the president of anything, but I'm, I'm the president for you. Of the committee to reinvade Cuba,
1: <laughs> I'm. I'm so glad we're really getting the important stuff out of the way in the first five minutes. You know, I think this is really the important stuff of, of the meat and potatoes of this conversation. Um, we we are here today for the most part to to talk about identity in general. That's kind of our our top header here. Um, I John offered me the opportunity to answer questions about myself which I've never said no to ever in my entire life which is why I have a podcast Uh, and so I think maybe we start there but the conversation is going to be a little freewheeling Um, sometimes it is hard to produce these conversations at least getting them started but I am confident that once we get rolling um, we will be we will be <laughs> we'll get, able to we'll kind of it. we'll get into it and so I would I would say this is my show um, people know who I am uh, so in addition to the brief entry you've already given us um, since we're talking about identity uh, are there sort of things you want to share now would you like it to come up more organically to kind of set a framework and or a context for questions I may ask you later um Anything you want to share now to start?
0: Yeah, I guess I can say something briefly, but it it, it strikes me as, um, I guess the introduction itself is going to be sort of meta-related to what else we're going to talk about, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I feel like the answer to your question addresses the issue of identity itself. Like, um, I can introduce myself as a Cuban-American, which might tell you some important information, and one might think that that's exceedingly important um but it's maybe a fraction of who i am but so i I'd, I'd say i am a uh, cuban american man in his 30s who has lived in different parts of the country generally lived in among pretty diverse communities um didn't i went to it took me a long time to get into undergrad um and then postgraduate studies um, I didn't finish undergrad until I was I don't even remember now in my late 20s. Um, I think that's a big part of who I am and sort of a working class background um, and I am uh, straight and cisgendered I'm because I've not had to um, I've not had to think of myself outside of this very convenient, proscribe binary. I, I might not have the proper vocabulary, though I have I like to think some empathy and understanding of other people's perspectives, but that's that's who I am in a very sort of very high level introduction.
1: And I, I think that um something that I've thought about more in the last couple of years I mean, one, I, I came out as non-binary in 2019. So my gender perception of it and presentation of it is I think about it in just relationship to everything else that's going on in the world. And so something I think about a lot is how like conversations about racial identities and ethnicity identities overlap with queerness or don't Uh, I've you know the metaphor only goes so far and so I think a lot about like where my blind spots are where I make assumptions about my understanding of a situation Um, and I in in particular um, I wasn't very close to my father growing up my parents got divorced right after I was born and then he lived away um, but my grandmother is Mexican and I think as far as I know and like I this could just be like family lore that I've totally misinterpreted I think her parents came to America but I do not know if again if like if I'm conflating that with something else and so I am interested in talking about how like like in particular that identity I never saw myself I would never consider myself, uh, like, connected to that Mexican heritage, specifically because I, like, barely knew this woman until I was 10 years old, because I saw her once a year. Um, And then, but now as it's, I hate to say trendy because it sounds very dismissive to, like, you know get in touch with your origins and do Forever forever 21. Um, what is it called? What is it called? <laughs> forever family? I don't... I know what you're talking about, but
0: I can't... I can't mean it.
1: 23 and me. There I, you go. Um, between the two of us, we got there. Uh, so, you know, like, like... And you hear all the horror stories of, like, a white college bro goes to Africa because of, like, mm-hmm. point zero zero one, And so I, I... It wasn't until I was sort of in my late 20s where I was like, oh, yeah, I am sort of more Hispanic than I ever realized, but there's no connection to that. And I, I, I wonder a lot about like how my connection to that identity would have been different if I had been surrounded by it or had literally any tangible connection to it at all. Um, my father's father was in the military, and so they moved around a lot. Um, so my grandmother, I grew up in Maine, and that's where she lived until she passed. Um, but her whole family is in Texas. And, you know, predominantly she was fluent in Spanish. None of her kids spoke Spanish. All of her sisters are fluent in Spanish. None of their kids speak Spanish. Um, and so, yeah, do you, do you think that your sense of cuban Americanness is affected or informed by your parents, the community you grew up in, like, would it have been different if it went differently? Um, I don't know. That's your prompt.
0: Yes, absolutely. It definitely, it's interesting because there's a tension within me. I I think of myself as an individual uh, who is a a very independent thinker who, I mean, I've gone so far as uh, challenging as I was growing up, challenging my, the morality and ethical, the moral, ethical, and, like, religious framework that I was raised under, kind of, like, destroying that at an intellectual mm-hmm. level and then coming up with my own. Um, so for someone who has gone so far as, like, consciously deciding what ought to compose his soul, um, there's there's a tension there's, there's a tension between like the, the individual list within me versus um, the fact that I am 100% Cuban-American. And that's because I was, even though I might not share the same values as a plurality of people with a background similar to me, there are like some... Cultural and ethnic touch points that I do share with broadly all of the the um, Cuban American community that um, that came to be in the United States following you know their expulsion or their their leaving Cuba as a result of communism and and dictatorship. Um, so while I this is such a long, it's a difficult question to answer because I, I, because of that tension. And Mm. as an individual, I, I do, I also recognize the fact that, you know, I grew up in, in, I grew up with my grandparents and spoke Spanish at home. And we have, um, we relate to pop culture in the United States in a, in a way that is just radically different than most, you know, Americans who've been here for generations, there there are some references that I hear people make that go right over my head. And it's not like I live under a rock, like, mm-hmm. because I can, I can relate when it comes to pop culture pretty easily with people in Miami or in New York, for example. Um, so yeah, when it comes to food, when it comes to some very basic values, when it comes to some Worldviews, for example, this like innate suspicion of totalitarianism that I have, mm. despite the fact that uh, you know, and suspicion of like I don't know, socialism, for example, despite the fact that I, as an individual, have concluded that you know, liberal democracy is an order, liberal democracy with some protections provided by the government is a good thing. Um, anyway. Uh, my my background my upbringing my culture my my ethnicity informs who i am i can't say that it is necessarily integral but it's inseparable from who i am mm,
1: i think that's a really interesting way of putting it because i yeah and i i have you know the more the more space the more space I give and the more time I spend with um, folks who think like us in this very individualistic way, the more I'm um, faced with perspectives that don't really occur to me in particular, this idea of like, why do we need pride? Because there's, it's not like I'm ashamed, but like, there's nothing to be proud of. It just is who you are. And like, in most places in the year of our Lord 2021 that is acceptable not in all places and not with all people but it's better now than it ever was before so like you know do we need this this big parade blocking Fifth Avenue once a year um, and and I from like a concept standpoint am like am very susceptible to that argument um, but from a, a, an execution standpoint I love Pride. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and uh, I I said it on a a Pride or Pride episode where it's like I saw a TikTok that was like, "Isn't it nice
0: that everyone is talking about you for a month?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it it is actually." (laughs) And and and, and I get that, like, and and not to put words into your mouth, but I think like in, in. I could very easily ask that same question, and I probably have like well if we don't if we reject these categories right mm. if we if we if we reject the gender binary, for example, then why do we need these shows of identity and then after asking that question, one of the things that I've sort of concluded is that like you don't live in a vacuum like you exist, you might be an individual, but you you exist in a context and you relate to the world and the world relates back to you and in this world that we currently live in um, it must feel in the absence of stuff like pride it must feel that you are not necessarily recognized by the broader world Um, or at least with things like pride or at least the recognition that there are identities that are outside of what traditionally we would call male and female without without a recognition that other things exist, it must feel that you it must feel that it, it would be very hard to relate to the world or like. We use heuristics to sort of like describe each other. Like if you were, if, if if I were introducing myself to someone for the first time and they wanted a quick rundown about who I am, it would, I'd have to, I, I would feel compelled to start out with an intro similar to how we started out with this podcast. I'm Cuban American. I didn't finish, I didn't go to college until my 20s, etc. That is a useful heuristic. It might only describe one one hundredth of who I am. Mm. But it seems to be that it seems to be a shortcut for relating to the rest of the world. I don't know if I'm onto to something, but that's kind of if someone were to ask me well why do why does someone like Jay have to identify with a broader group if they if they're an individual, my response would be because the individual exists within a broader context, and you need heuristics when relating to people in the world
1: i and I think that's I think that's exactly it and I I do feel like we're in this really interesting like hitch point where where we are either the edge of the pendulum swing or the pendulum is swinging baby like it's for sure swinging I don't know if we've like swung all the way but like we are we are swung. Um, where there are many ways of labeling your gender and your sexuality and different labels that that people use, black with a capital B, BIPOC, you know, like, I just sort of throwing out a, a, additional examples to, to the queer examples that I have talked about, um, and Haley and I have talked about ad nauseum on this podcast for the last year. Um, so I think those those labels have meaning exactly as you're saying in a way of shorthand relating to the world and i think that is the part of identity that is so challenging is this balance as individualists individually oriented people of like there are labels that i choose for myself but i also like acknowledge stereotypes with those labels that i both agree with and don't agree with in some context like there are definitely some like you know memes about trans men i see and i'm like yeah that's funny because it's true <laughs> but like and i'm sure like you see the same thing and i i sort of focus on your cuban identity um not to dismiss your cisness or your straightness but um, <laughs> in the context of this conversation i would say that's kind of the the parallel lines we're drawing here mm-hmm. um so yeah but but if an outsider makes assumptions or stereotypes about me based on those labels, it's very concerning. Um, and it's, you know, back, back in the, I mean, not, you don't have to go back as far as you might wish, but you know, the flamboyantly gay, skinny white man as the only, like, this is what being gay is. Mm -hmm. And they're like, there are no gay women in media for the longest. And even now it's like super niche and super specific and, Spaces for queer women, um, and so I I wonder if you have like has anyone ever been like oh Cubans and then like made in like an off color oh. joke that you were like what?
0: <laughs> sure, I can't think of I well I, people who are just completely aware of like the broader Hispanic community that I've I've gotten comments adjacent to like what kind of tacos do you eat like literally it's been it's been a thing. Oh my god! Yeah, it's it's kind of it. It's kind of cringe, but like, yeah, there's <laughs> stuff stuff like that. And also, I don't know, people make a lot of people make a ton of assumptions, particularly people that you would expect would would otherwise be kind of knowledgeable, like mm. Politico types or people that are like really into politics. They understand, you know, at like a demography level that like Cuban Americans generally are very conservative, which I'm not or well, mm. I'm not. I'm way more complicated than I, I've never voted for a Republican, for example. But yeah. one one could assume that among a group of 100 Cubans, you're going to come up with 60 or 70 of them who've never voted for anything but a Republican, right? Like, sure. So people make a lot of these shorthand assumptions that, like, they challenge my idea of, like, well, do I really relate to this broader community? Because all mm-hmm. of the assumptions that the outside world makes are, when they apply to me necessarily, are like incorrect, like. I've, I'm not a hardcore. I've never been a hardcore Republican. I definitely won't be these days. Um, yeah. I I didn't. Ha- I don't have. I don't come from a wealthy family. I come from a very working class family. A lot of Cuban Americans are assumed to, because of our success in cities like Miami, and because of like subsequent waves of immigration, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, we've turned out demographically wealthier than a lot of other immigrant groups or or refugee groups. Um, I come from a working class background. I'm, I'm not ultra conservative. I'm not obsessed with, even though I am very preoccupied with it and it is something that's important to me what's going on in Cuba. It's not my primary concern. My primary concern is like what's happening in my neighborhood or what's happening um, in the United States. People... Yeah, people definitely make a lot of assumptions based on these um, sort of heuristics that are not applicable to me because I'm such an individual and because, you know, I got out of the town where I grew up in. Like, yeah. I didn't I didn't wind up, you know, having kids at, in my late 20s and sending them to Catholic school like a lot of my peers <laughs> did, you know?
1: Yeah. And do you ever, like, do you think there's a future where... We don't have to worry about this anymore.
0: You know, it's a good question, but it's sort of a loaded question. It's like I, I, I don't know if you're asking that in like is would it be a good or bad thing? Like,
1: uh, make it two questions then. Yeah. Is that something you would want, and is that a future we can have, whether I, you want it or not?
0: Right. I. It's it's there's a tension, man. Like I. I am very proud of being Cuban-American. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of my culture. I, you know, it's like there's a whole lot wrapped in that that I'm very proud of. And I like the fact, even though the world might make bad assumptions about me um, using the Cuban-American heuristic or Hispanic heuristic more broadly, like even though it might not. Really identify me as an individual very accurately or precisely, like I'm proud of that background, so I don't know if I would want to live in a world for let, let's suppose that it, ten years from now it's like taboo to call someone their Cuban American or whatever mm-hmm. dash american I don't know if I'd want to live in that world, but on the other hand, I'd want to live in in a world where people are treated and respected as individuals um but I don't know if that's—I don't know if that is just a utopian world that can't exist or won't exist. Um, mm. I wonder whether whether it's just the human condition that we need heuristics in order to relate to one another. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I—I think my answer to the question is I—I I think the way. The state of conversation and uh, I also hate the phrase kind of identity politics because it's like very loaded and yeah. can mean a lot um, but a, a focus on the prioritization of identity maybe is how I'll go with it um, is not something that I think is bad I think it can be used for bad
0: absolutely
1: but I think the more conversations that we have about what these different words can mean it expands everyone's thinking and I think that's the that's kind of the brick wall so maybe maybe the metaphor is not a pendulum swing but it's like like throwing a ball against a wall and it it kind of bounces back um, but with like a little less force than you threw it because that's how physics works I guess I don't know do not fact-check me on this, anyone. Um, and, like, I... So, yeah, I think uh, sort of an example that's been on my mind lately is um, is is pronouns, in particular. I um, have had some tricky situations recently having so to... So I've heard. ...having to deal with pronouns in a way that, like, I'm very, very spoiled and that I only spend my time around people who give a shit about me (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so it was a very disconcerting couple of days um to be around people who care about me to a point but clearly this this particular thing was like just too much um so I've been thinking about that a lot especially in the context of work where it's the your sort of power dynamic and relationship dynamics is different um but uh, a, a woman I work with in the accounting department uh, who is lovely and we only met in January of this year and just started working together in February of this year um, she used she her pronouns for me and I corrected her on a zoom it was just the two of us um, and uh, it was just like a total blank stare like I, I don't know if I wasn't articulating clearly or she couldn't hear me or it was just zoom and whatever um, but we just kind of moved on uh, and there was, like, no real, like, light of recognition there. And then uh, it kind of continued to happen, so I sent her an email and was like, hey, here's something I've noticed. Here's how you can correct it. Here are some resources. And she sent me back a very kind response, um, one, apologizing, and two, you know, saying, I'll work on it. I'll try and improve. And it was, like, like exactly exactly what I would want back because it, it can be a, a difficult balance to strike of, like, being – not like rolling over for someone but also not being like super aggressive because when you're super aggressive people like turn off. Thank you. Um I guess your I keep my about. monitor on <clears throat> my coworker. And good catch, you caught it right when it started, so I wasn't like rambling on for 5 minutes which so happened last time. Um so my coworker uh yeah, so the ideal scenario is like I I'm able to correct her and she's able to understand what that means, and then we just move on. Yeah. And so I, I think that like the more people can learn about other people's identities, specifically the labels they use to define them and explain them, um, is to me very valuable and it, it can be very frustrating to be in conversations where the whole concept of identity is dismissed out of hand um, n- not that we're me, in the
0: it strikes me as a radically individualist um, mm-hmm. as a radically individualist project right like telling it, it, it does add some pr- some precision w- with how you relate to the world and how other people relate to you like It it is about, like, respect for the individual. I think part... I'm sorry, but but, when it comes to, for example, online discourse or, like, pop culture discourse, people Mm -hmm. want to Mm -hmm. blow things up uh, as though they apply to the whole world. Or, like, you know, because five weirdos said something on Twitter, it must mean that Mm -hmm. everyone in this community believes the same thing. Right. When when that's just not the case, and it's not... uh, it's not respectful to the individual to just dismiss offhand the way that they conceive of themselves. Um, I think it's radically respectful and radically individualistic to just, you, you tell me who you are and I will identify you as the person that you, as the person that you are. I don't think that's too much to ask. It seems unfortunate <laughs> that people sure. reject that.
1: I I agree in so many ways. I I it feels very um yeah, it's it's especially in you know, there there are spaces especially online where transness is separate from being gay or being a lesbian and it is seen by some people as like a completely different fight because it's different it's not sexual orientation it's gender and therefore it's different and therefore we're not interested and so it's it's very difficult to to see the context or to see people (laughs) sort of implying like you can be different, but only in the ways that I think it's okay to be different. Your individually, your individuality can be expressed in ways that don't make me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm uncomfortable by your, like, goth makeup and crazy necklaces or, um, you know, <laughs> the pronouns you use or whatever. And so, um, yeah, it's – that is the world that I want to get away from and, yeah, and move sort of – in a completely different direction, and sometimes it does feel like we're never going to get there,
0: yeah, well, online discourse will certainly make you feel that way. People are just hunkered down in their positions Word. and i think and I think the worst part about it is um, um, you know when not to get into specific examples, but i the thing that I come back to is like. When something happens online... Like, let's just... I'm going to use myself as an example. Like, someone might say something something completely off base with respect to Cuba, right? Someone online mm-hmm. might say... There might be, on, on the one hand, someone, someone saying that uh, what's happening, the protests in Cuba are... Are bad or are sponsored by the CIA or something like that, and or on on the other side, we might. Let, I need to gather my thoughts on this point. Hold on, it's okay. Also, ble-
1: bless you.
0: Jay says, "Bless you."
1: That's gonna be the episode cold open. Yeah, <laughs> That's perfect.
0: Two of them, two of them. It's like the clapper. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and, all right. So back to back to shitty online discourse. Like the the yeah. shitty online discourse can make one think that we're not headed towards. I don't. I don't like the word progress. I. I that's mm. that's a god. That would take hours to unpack. Um, <laughs> I reject the word progress because that that presupposes that we know what the end goal, or that everyone knows what some end goal is. But it would be an mm. advance. It would be an evolution um if people would treat each other as individuals and not suppose that you feel a certain way because some ideologue online said something and mm. that cuts both ways and it seems one the thing that the thing that I see the thing that I fear happening now in, in our current era is a lack of empathy for people, each other's friends and families like
1: Hmm.
0: people, you you were talking about like people who want you to fit into a particular box so that they don't feel uncomfortable Um, it seems like people might be using shortcuts that they've used online like you are a trans person therefore all of your opinions must align uh, with what a trans activist (laughs) says online Maybe you maybe you share ninety percent of what what this particular hypothetical trans activist says, but the ten percent that you don't necessarily agree with might be very important to you. Um,
1: and I I would say yeah, when you were talking a little earlier about um, sort of political stereotypes involving Cubans, I you know follow some artists online. Uh, during the election who in particular were like not not verbatim saying Cubans aren't real Hispanics but saying like Cubans are completely outside of what you would call a Hispanic because all Hispanics think one way except the Cubans yeah. who think yeah. another way and I was like mm-hmm. this is a 20 year old Ye- who draws fan art and I'm just gonna <laughs> like and I'm just gonna let this go I'm gonna learn I'm going to read what they have to say and I'm going to try and benefit in some way and I do love their art and that's okay and that is okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I was just like what the fuck on earth are you Mm -hmm. saying (laughs) like it and it just it it's not something I knew anything about so I was like oh okay This like at least I have some sort of critical thinking skills and a general understanding of voting block demographics Mm -hmm. so I like had some sort of separate context uh, but remember reading it and being like, "What a ridiculous thing to it, say!" Yeah. Like,
0: and, and I've seen a lot of stuff like that, and it's it can be maddening. Which is where I can be—I I have some sort of empathy for people kind of losing their shit when it comes to online discourse. Where, like, yeah, I've I've seen stuff like that, or um, the same the same the same people who complain about erasure for example will turn around and then claim that you know cubans are not real hispanics it's like oh well, you know mm. i grew up my first language yeah. is spanish um you know i there, there are some household words that i will never remember in english doesn't mean that i'm not i i don't have a native level of command over the english language but like I don't know. Spanish is kind of my my fallback language for a lot of stuff. So for someone, for a third or fourth generation person to say that you know, my I'm not really Hispanic or whatever, despite the fact that both of my parents were literally born in Cuba, is yeah, kind of crazy to me. So I can I can get it when either side, and and I hate having to use the word side, but it does seem that we're in we're stuck in mm-hmm. this political binary. Um, either side can sort of practice the art of exclusion and just mm. denying who you are for whatever political ends they're they're seeking.
1: Do normal people talk about identity? <laughs> do people off of Twitter like do people do people like do people who aren't? And I was about to just like rip some wild classist stereotypes about rich people reading the newspaper but um see now I don't even have to say it you're just filling just, in whatever wherever it. your mind you wherever your mind's eyes whatever going means, it's, yep. i was probably it was probably worse <laughs> than whatever you're thinking um but like do you know, like are normal people fucking talking about this does anyone care about this except us and like not to say that invalidates the conversation we're having but I I wonder if we'll never get to that world of kind of blanket understanding and respect for individual because only some of us are thinking critically about these questions.
0: So it's both a joke question and a serious well, question you know, of like, are real people talking yeah, about Yeah, like I, you know, I can't say that, for example, outside of Miami, I can't say I ever talked, I mean, inside of Miami, I can't say I ever talked that much about identity. It was just like, Assumed there was no need to talk about it because I lived among in a milieu that like we had a bunch of assumptions about each other. It was really only mm-hmm. when I went to college that I heard tons of talk about identity and uh, among you know upper middle class people. I can't say that it's a particularly salient topic of conversation among like working class people that I spend time with even outside of Miami um I it's definitely in my in in the meat space as we like to call it in the quote-unquote real world uh-huh. I I can't say that I talk about it or hear about identity nearly as much as I do online or among mm-hmm. like, well-educated people that's and I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing. I can suppose that it may be a bad thing, in that even if everyone else is not talking about identity, the people who make policy and the people who um, articulate culture or have more cultural power are constantly talking about it. And if and if people, if the the people in capital letters are not part of that conversation, then you're missing. I don't know. 80% of the country, you know?
1: Hmm. Is that what we'd call the public?
0: The public, which is, may or may not be revolting.
1: <laughs> Sometimes I feel revolting,
0: so... Double entendre, <laughs> I appreciate that. Close enough. <laughs>
1: um, did you have questions for me?
0: Yeah. Um, what what would I need if you talk to me as if you were telling me for the first time what it means to you to be trans
1: ooh that's a fun one
0: because I don't want to even though I'm a critical thinker and I'm aware I'm aware uh, that what I hear from other people will never necessarily reflect 100% of who you are but I don't think I've, I've straight up just asked you what does it mean to you? And maybe that's something that people ought to practice. If we want to be more respectful of each other as individuals, maybe we ought to ask, like, what, how do you relate to the world? What does it mean to you? It's obviously important to you, so what does it mean to you? What do I need to know?
1: I, I think part of the answer to this question kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation, which is that I never felt at home or grounded in reality until I came out as non-binary I relate I making comparisons to other people isn't quite the right way of articulating it but I Myself in relation to other people almost exclusively, and when I was young, dumb, and drunk all the time, that sort of manifested as um, like giving up what I wanted to do, and where I wanted to go, and who I wanted to be for other people, whether it was being in a relationship with someone, whether it was um, like volunteering for something I didn't really want to do, but felt like I had to um, those those sorts of qualities were kind of driving my life force. And it wasn't until I started exploring Rand uh, and individuality. Um, it, it took that kind of dramatic attempt at philosophy um, to start to understand myself as a person. Uh, as as one single unit of person and not a person as a friend or as a partner or whatever and so relating like so that sort of flexibility and shifting between responding to another person or people um, made it very difficult to like be myself. And so it was a lot of like, of <laughs> like thinking about those questions and those ideas. Um, but then also, like when I was dating a girl in college, I was very masculine and I had my head shaved and I wore bo- like boy clothes. And when I was dating men, I was more feminine, still like a tough girl, but more on the feminine side. And, but I never felt like fully comfortable in either of those identities. I think I was able to kind of be with people who made me comfortable for the most part, but not always. And so finding they, them pronouns and the label of non-binary, like clicked something in my brain where I have never. I've never felt like a girl or like a woman, even when I was a kid. Um, Even when I was a kid, like someone referring to me as she and not using my, like I would get like cringe when people would be like, oh, like she's over there. And I would like, like picture me now, but compressed into a seven-year-old monster child (laughs) uh, being like, I have a name, I'm a person, I'm not she. And now I'm like, no, you're gay. You're gay. It's It was gay all the time. It was gay all the time. And so I finally you know, found this non-binary label and it just gave me this flexibility and this shorthand way of relating to the world of like, Giving myself permission to be a neutral and giving myself permission to not need someone else to kind of dictate who I am or how I am. And it, it, what it means to me is being able to express myself in whatever way I choose and completely freeing myself from any self-imposed stereotype or outside-imposed stereotype, and I do, in general, um, find myself leaning in a more masculine uh, direction, and I always have, Um, but it's coming from a, like, being a tomboy is very different than being a non-binary, trans-mask person. And I see those overlaps, and I see, like, looking back my whole life, like, I see what I was trying to do, and um, I was 28 before I came out, it took me, it took me that long, which is astounding, because I came out as bi as a 17-year-old, and, like, extremely very much always knew that I was interested in not just men, as an assigned female, Uh, I I did have crushes all the time Mm. on everyone. And I still do. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of a, a long a long winding answer, but I mean the, the kind of short version is like it's it is an identity that allows me to feel free in my expression and personality and attitude and presentation in a way that I never have before. And I, I think to kind of relate back to an earlier point of the conversation, like I would like, or thinking back to a conversation you and I have had in the past of like if there's no male or female then how do you know you're not either of those things mm. or like how do you know if there's no man or male how do I know I'm a trans man yeah. or a trans mask and I think that's not a question I have an answer to um, because there are definitely times where I'm like, abolish gender. Abolish all of the words. Abolish all of the designations. It's not important if we treat people like individuals. Like, there are, there are so... I mean, there are very important things that, that can be affected by genitalia or biological... Like, your literal body that you have um, with your organs and shit. Like, but there there are so few things that are... Affected or determined um, by those characteristics of people, although you know it's like cancer and whatever. Um, so, so it's it's not something that I'm willing to completely dismiss out of hand. But um, every every so often, when I've like had enough martinis, I'm like abolish all gender forever. Mm-hmm. We don't need it. There's no point in it because it's just the only labels. The only understanding of labels that people can latch onto are stereotype. Yep. It, both for good and for bad. And like I, you know, I say that acknowledging that like my masculine identity is a is a terrific machismo stereotype. He's the worst. <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah, so that's what it that's what it means. It means everything. It means that I can it means that I finally feel comfortable like having a not always but more often than not I feel comfortable having a body because I know what kind of body it is and I know what kind of person I am and I know how I can look and be and relate to people in the world.
0: Would it be wrong would it be wrong for me to think that it, without they them pronouns you might feel trapped in sort of a um I don't know, sort of like trapped in some dystopian societal prison where you can't relate to the world.
1: I, I think that when you are socialized in one way and you learn to live, even if that's not the right way to live, like I, I, I knew how to relate to the world as she, her, because I liked men. And, like, that was easy. Like, oh, that's a girl because that's a boy and they're holding hands. And that's easy. Mm -hmm. Um, But from an emotional standpoint, like, I didn't realize how trapped I was until I realized it could be different. And I think that's also, you know, this is... we We could... do another five hours on representation because it's, it's so connected to all of this and that's why I feel really strongly that the the use the public use of different types of labels is important for everyone who doesn't know themselves all the way yet well, because I, I don't think that if I hadn't had close friends take the leap before me I don't think I would have even started thinking about they, them pronouns And without the freedom that came with a pronoun change, I would never have gotten to the place I am now with my gender and my expression of it.
0: Well, that's, and that that reminds me of some, there's a lot of like philosophical precedent for the idea that language informs identity. I mean... Mm. uh, philosophers who are focused on linguistics will, many will argue, I'm not going to cite people right now, but many would, would argue that metacognition, the ability to think about one's thinking, is only as good as the language that one uses to assign to thoughts and feelings. So Interesting. you can't, uh, some of my favorite philosophers would argue that language precedes philosophy and morality and ethics like you can't you can't conceive of yourself without a vocabulary so mm. it seems at a very like rational and logical level that if you lack the vocabulary and perhaps relatedly if you're talking about representation you it's hard to think about your thinking or to really understand yourself if you don't have something else to communicate within oneself and to communicate mm. with the rest of the world. Um, I think there's a, there's a strong philosophical argument for understanding that language informs ideas. And if we, if you really think about it without me providing evidence, I think you can intuit that like your thoughts, you might have feelings, but to understand them and to self analyze, you have to have a language mm. for it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's, a really astute point, and something that's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, because it—it's also it also is not just self word. It's also external. So, my coworker who is a wonderful, intelligent woman, like doesn't have this specific vocabulary, and so when I use those words with her. It just didn't even process, and it, you know it happened. Like, I'm reading a book for book club right now that's kicking the shit out of me, and it's horrible, <laughs> and it makes me so sad because I'm trying so hard, and I'm like, man, woof. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, I so, like you read a word in a sentence that you've never read before, and you're like, I have, I can't even by context clues get to where I need to go for this because of that, and. And so I, I get it. And I, I think thinking about things in that way makes me more understanding of the difficulties that people have. I My empathy stops completely at just like blatant disrespect. As um, it should. <laughs> I mean... But I, I, I think that I have a lot more patience because I can conceptualize or I try to at least not to say that people who don't can't they could and don't um but yeah it's an interesting to think to think about something you need to be able to hold it in your mind enough to think about it and that requires A label that requires a word or a term um interesting yes yes
0: you got any questions for me
1: (sighs) why are you so great
0: (laughs) i don't think i am but i appreciate that you got a flavor in that vape i do it is well no it's not you know, this is the thing that I don't understand. This is the thing that I don't understand about flavors, right? Like these are all flavored. So I guess I guess when they're banning flavors, it's just the flavors that they choose to call flavors. This is flavored like Virginia tobacco. So
1: So I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't call that a flavor.
0: I, let's not call it a flavor otherwise they're going to ban it. So well, I'll call it flavorless.
1: Flavorless, a flavorless vape. Uh, did you play sports growing up?
0: I was a swimmer for a time. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: and let's see. We'll do. We'll do one final question. in This impromptu lightning round. Um. What is your favorite thing to do by yourself?
0: Honestly, go going for a walk and thinking i I have to do it I have to do it for both physical and mental health reasons um not not that there's some sort of like psychological condition in me it's like i I need time to think and process thoughts and and like analyze the world i my favorite activity is or one of my my favorite individual activity is thinking frankly and I can I'm able to do that when I'm going for my daily two to three hour long walk It's a boring answer I like to walk around look at shit look at flowers and shit and think that's my favorite I, individual activity
1: <laughs> I was just thinking of how aggressively I was gonna call you a fucking nerd <laughs> and was like that's too aggressive and was like walking it back in my head that's all the hesitation <laughs> that you just had to hear and bear witness to is is me walking back my, my
0: bullying. I take on you. the nerd label with pride, so we're good.
1: <laughs> um. Well, thank you, John. This was lovely. Uh, let's do it again. Absolutely. I, I I would say we can let the listeners decide, but I think you did a great job representing straight people um, by being respectful, considerate, and thoughtful. You've actually like way overrepresented a lot of straight people, I, not the ones who listen to my podcast. But I think you've really done your people a service today. I appreciate you for it.
0: Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it.
1: All right. I'm going to stop this recording.